0: You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. Yeah, you know, I think it was Job that said, the thing I feared worst has come upon me. And that's how I feel today because I had to iron my shirt. And if it doesn't look like it, just keep your mouth shut. Yeah, this Whitney, wave to everybody so everybody can see, this is my beautiful wife, Whitney. I know, I think I think Adam and his wife saw me the other day doing an announcement with Abby over here in the front, and he, they, they assumed that this teenager was my wife. That is not my wife, my wife is the incredibly, incredibly beautiful woman back there. Been married for almost eight years, yeah. And uh, luckiest man on the planet. She's an amazing, amazing woman. How you doing, Shane? Sarah, back here. These guys back here. They have a daughter named Emery, and I've got to say, I've got to point it out because that is one of my favorite names. It's, it's the name of one of my favorite rock bands. There she is. There she is. I mentioned that name to my wife. I, I got shut down on that. You'd never. But now, now it's taken, so I can't can't do it anyway. But they did it. And, uh, you know, being in ministry, or actually just in life in general, it's kind of a a successful, you know, to be successful in any way, uh, you generally try to remember people's names, right? I'm pretty bad at that, though, honestly. I remember a few people's names, but I will literally ask you your name, you know, and in the middle of the same conversation, I will have totally forgot what your name is. Sorry, already forgot just being honest. It's a, it's a, I try and it's like, it's funny because some people, it just like sticks with me instantly. Emory, oh man, I knew Emory's name. Shane and Sarah, sorry, it took me a little while, you know, they're parents, but, but you know, but have you ever been in a crowd and you've just, you're just walking along and you think you hear somebody call your name, like looking around, you're like, talking to me. No? Okay. Just keep walking, you know? Or you swear, you're in the middle of, you know, you're like standing there, people are having a conversation, and you're, you, you swear they're talking to you, and then once again, you like answer them, you throw in your opinion, they're like, that's nice, but I was talking to Jacob over here. Yeah? Yeah? There's, there's a guy who, who experienced that as a constant as a constant factor in his life, that everywhere he went, he would hear people calling his name just constantly. In, in a minute's time, he would hear somebody yelling his name like five times. He got to where he couldn't go out, and when he did go out, he would ignore it. He would try his best to ignore it, not to turn around when he heard somebody call his name. So friends would actually come up behind him and be like yelling his name, Jacob, Jacob, come, you know, and he'd just ignore it because he was sure it was all in his head. And it's actually, apparently it's a thing, you know, it's a, it's a psychiatric problem, but Israel is not a super common name. See, some of you guys probably have that name because they're actually calling your name, but they're calling to somebody else, you know. Israel's not a super common name, so I don't get that a lot of people actually saying Israel, and I'm like, oh, the other Israel, my bad. Until, until I walk into church. Have you guys read the Bible? I mean, it's in there. It's in there a lot. Uh, how, how would you like to hear this in the middle of a sermon? Be silent, Israel, and listen. Deuteronomy 27 9. It's exciting. I'm like, I'm sorry. I know. I was whispering to my wife. I'm sorry. My bad. For not all those who descended from Israel are Israel. I know they're Tegan, Theron, Victoria, Joshua, you know, whatever. But again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. Satan rose up against Israel. Being in church can be kind of tiring sometimes. (laughs) But then there's some good stuff, you know, for you, Israel, are my servant. I've made you. I will not forget you. And some people wonder why I'm so skinny. Okay. Okay. I do eat a lot. If you know me, you know I eat a lot, so I don't even know why I'm so skinny, except for 2 Kings 10.32 says, in those days, the Lord began to reduce the size of Israel, so I guess that's it. So, that's me. It's in the Bible. But we all love hearing our names. We all, we all love it. It means something to us. Uh, Dale Carnegie was quoted. Let me just see if I can find this. It says uh, he said in his book. I think you know Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, or maybe I am getting mixed up with another book, but or How to Win Friends and Influence People. I think was the book. He said a person's name is the sweetest sound in any language. That when you hear your name, you perk up, even if maybe it's a name you kind of wish you weren't named. You know, but you are. But when you hear it, it means something to you. I mean, it's like you're walking down the street, somebody calls your name. You're like, you know, somebody knows me. You know, if you're walking down the street, and everybody calls your name. They may not know any detail about you, but the fact that everybody like, hey, 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 how you doing, Charlie? Charlie. Hey, Charlie. They're like, they know my name. You know, <laughs> it means something. You're excited. I'm famous. <sighs> but we see in scripture that there is something far more important than what our parents called us because we see God constantly calling people something different than what they were born with. You know, we see Abram becoming Abraham. We see Jacob becoming Israel. We see Hosea becoming Joshua. You know, Cephas, Peter, Paul, Saul, you know what I mean? it's Or Saul, Paul. You know, we see all these, all these times where God kind of re-identifies someone, calls them by a new name. We're going to look at that because God calls us something different than what we've been called in the past. We're going to open up to Matthew chapter 3. If you want to open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 3. Where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13. We go 13 through 17. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And God calls you son. God calls you daughter. That's the way God identifies us. God is more concerned with who you are than with what you do. From what we know at this point in Jesus' ministry, he had not, you know, he had not healed anybody. He had not raised the dead. He hadn't become a famous preacher. You know, I mean, nobody really knew who Jesus was at this point. John knew him because it was his cousin and he had an idea of what was coming. But, but Jesus wasn't this big, famous guy. There was nothing he had done that God's like, oh, you're doing, man, you're just doing great. Like, you got out there, man. You got like a 1,000 followers on Twitter. You know, you got a bunch of friends on Facebook. And there's still somebody on MySpace who follows you. But uh, he hadn't really, he hadn't done anything particular at this point. But God calls him son. He said, this is my beloved son my son, I love him, and in him I'm well pleased. He's pleased with him before he's done all the things that we know about Jesus that make him so great. He's already pleased with him. And it's because God is more concerned with who we are than what we do. Have you ever heard people say that they feel the call of God on their life, right? You heard that phrase, like, man, I just really feel the call of God on my life. I feel called to be a preacher, And that's that's a thing. I mean, you know, God really does sometimes put a stirring in your heart to do something, but the fact is that you, whether or not you're feeling that calling, you are called. And whether whether or not you're called to, you know, some sort of platform ministry or whatever, you are called something very important. You are called son. You are called daughter. God doesn't call those who who have arrived. God doesn't call you when you become king. God calls the tax collector. God calls the fisherman. God calls the sinner. That's who Jesus went out and he called. You know, when he was picking his disciples, they weren't great men of faith. They weren't great guys who'd done something impressive. They were guys who smelled like fish Had maybe cheated a few people in the past. But that's who God calls. God calls the tax collector. God calls the sinner. God calls you and me. Now, David... In uh, 2 Samuel 5, we see when David, Saul was dead at this point and they anoint David king. Now, at this point, though, what it is is all the elders got together and they anointed him publicly to show that he was king. But before that, in 1 Samuel 17, a long time before that, he was anointed by the prophet of God. That was when he was called. He was just a shepherd boy at that point. He hadn't fought Goliath. He hadn't done anything. But God called him in the field And when he called him, he anointed him. And the Bible actually says that the Spirit of God came on him from that point on. It didn't go away and like, you know, I'll come back when you're king. You know, when you're something important, I'll come back. The Spirit of God came on him when he was called. He was anointed when he was called. If you are called right now, if you are called son and daughter, you are anointed. You have the anointing of God on your life. And that's a powerful thing. You know I was listening, TD Jakes say the same thing that, and I never listened to T. Jakes. It was someone else put it on, but not not to criticize him. I'm just, I just don't, you know, watch that kind of TV much. But, uh, but somebody was watching TBN or some kind of, you know, God's Word Network, whatever it was. TD Jakes was on TV, and he was talking about the days when he used to be pastor of 20 people, and he pointed out, you know, he's like, I had the same anointing on me then in front of 20 people, as I do now in front of a church of, you know, thousands. And guys, you have the same anointing. You don't need to wait for God to put you on a big platform. You don't need to wait for God to to get you out of the problems you're going through right now. You have the anointing of God fully on your life right now. The difference between those who feel the call of God and those who are called is just a matter of awareness because you can choose to be aware of the calling of God. You can speak the calling of God over your life And he may have specific callings for you that you don't know. Yeah, maybe down the road he is going to call you to be a preacher. Maybe he's going to call you to be a worship leader. Maybe he's going to call you into business, into something great, you know. But you may not know the specific callings, but you do know that he has called you a child. And you can speak that over your life, and you can choose every day to be aware of who you are, of who God calls you. You can wake up in the morning, look at yourself, crazy hair and all, no makeup, ladies. Just look in the mirror and say, I'm a child of God. I am anointed. I have the Spirit on me. And you can make yourself aware of it. You can feel the call of God. And you can hear God's voice. You can meditate on what it is to be a child of God. So we're going to move on to the next little section here. In Matthew chapter 4, right after this, this is not where we generally like to hear But right after Jesus was anointed, in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. (laughs) Exciting. Jesus was baptized in water. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was led with the Holy Spirit. And just like the Israelites who were saved out of Egypt, you know, baptized through the Red Sea, led by the Spirit, they came into the wilderness. Jesus went. Into the wilderness, but like the Israelites, he was not meant to stay in the wilderness. Now there are a lot of really impressive stories of of you know wilderness survival. Like uh, let me see, what's that guy's name? Aaron Ralston. Have you guys maybe seen the movie 127 Hours? I haven't seen it. I don't think I could put up with, with what actually happens in this true story of a guy who, who falls down while rock climbing in the middle of nowhere. No one's around, gets his arm under a rock, and has to break and cut and set himself free. But he lived. And there's a lot of amazing stories. People who survived the wilderness. And then there's the story of air mechanic Jewel and the men at Khufra. They were in the South American, I mean, not South American, South African Air Force, and they were patrolling the Libyan desert. And this, this is sad and funny at the same time. They're, they're probably a little bit like what I would be if I was stuck in the desert. But they were patrolling the desert in their airplanes. They get back to base safely. And then they decide, you know, we have a little more fuel. Let's just go out for a, you know, let's just fly around for a little bit. Now, these are men in the military and they don't write down, they don't keep track of, they don't pay attention to what direction they're going, and they fly out into the desert. At which point, one of them runs low on fuel, so they all land, it's four planes, they all land. And I I gotta kind of pay attention here to what the details are. But uh, they didn't know where they were, and the first day, though, they're like, you know what, we can't be far, so we're gonna be good. We're gonna be saved really quickly, and they drink the first day twenty gallons of water. Twelve people, which by the way is about two-thirds of what should have been four days' rations. They had they drank two-thirds of their water day one, should have lasted them four days. But there's like, ah, eh, we're gonna be saved. We're good, we'll go ahead and drink it. Twelve guys drink twenty gallons of water. And then they send up a plane to go, to go look for their base, look for, you know, anywhere that they could find a way out, you know, look for help. So he flies 30 minutes in one direction, and like the blonde who swims, ha- swims halfway to shore, gets tired and swims back the other direction, they turn around, you know, go 30 minutes back. They go 30 minutes in another direction, come back. 30 minutes, you know, they're wasting fuel every direction, never going far enough to find anything. 30 minutes in, in every direction, and then they run out of fuel. So they had fuel, they landed, they had water the last four days, they had some fuel left, and now they just wasted all their water, they wasted all their fuel, and they start to get desperate. They're thirsty, you know, they run out of water, I think, the third day, which, you know, they at least made the next couple days last, but they ran out of water the third day and started drinking water from the little, you know, tuna cans, sardine cans, they had, like, some juice fruit cocktails, they started drinking the juice out of the fruit cocktail, got really desperate, and What almost to me, this is why I say this would be me, and this is sad, but in what almost seems like a moment of brilliance, they break open the compasses and decide we're gonna drink the liquid out of this. That'll work. They said it was was quite an interesting experience. It was uh it made them feel pretty good for a minute. It was methanol, so it was poison. So they felt good for a minute, and then they just started getting super sick. And I don't know if it was under the influence of the methanol or if it was just, you know, they were desperate, but they grabbed the fire extinguishers. We're really hot, we need to cool ourselves down, and they spray themselves with the fire extinguishers, which makes them feel good for a minute, and then their skin breaks out in blisters, they're popping everywhere, they're bleeding out in the sun, and they say that, you know, most of them probably died from drinking the liquid from the compasses and from spraying the fire extinguishers on themselves. was the only one who made it out eight days in the desert just by sheer luck. You know, somebody finds him, and he happens to be the only one that made it through all this stupidity. But he made it out of the desert. And I think, you know, I think that I would probably be one of the other 11. <laughs> but the desert is a place, man, where it's hot, it's dry, it's desolate, you know, it's confusing. You don't know which way to go. They were, they didn't know, you know, which way to look. They didn't know whether they should expect to be saved right away or if they should just, you know, ration their water. And you can understand the desperation that drove them to, drinking the methanol out of their compasses. The desert is a desperate place. The desert is not where you want to be. But God led Jesus to the desert to be tempted. Now, I want to be clear about something here. This is an important thing to know, because we a lot of times compare our lives to Jesus, but you need to know something that though you have Jesus in you, though that you have the Spirit of God in you, you are not Jesus. And sometimes God will lead you somewhere that requires you to go through the desert. But God never leads you to the desert, and God never leads you into temptation. See, Jesus had to be tempted. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, in every way that you can imagine, in every way that you cannot imagine. You're like, I, I would never, I, would, I don't even understand that. That's weird, you know, like that's, that doesn't make any sense. Well, Jesus was tempted that way. Jesus was tempted in every way that's common to man, but we don't have to be tempted in every way that he was. He did that, not so he could condemn us, but so that he could relate to us so that he could redeem us and justify us. So he could know, I know exactly what you're going through. I understand. I can show you a way out. I can save you from this situation. That's why Jesus did it. But he doesn't lead us in to be tempted. And maybe that's why in this story, you know, it says that Jesus was in the desert for 40 days. 40 days without food and water in the desert. You know, these guys made it The one guy made it eight days, and that was with water, with food, with fuel, with methanol, uh, with fire extinguishers. But Jesus lived in the desert for 40 days without food and water, being tempted by the devil. But all we get out of this story is we get the last day. And I think maybe that's because God doesn't want us to be constantly thinking about the desert. Oh, man, yeah, I'm just like Jesus, you know. Poor me. I'm stuck in the desert. No food water. It's hot out here. I have nothing, but God loves me. This is where I belong. You know, like, no, it's not where you belong. That's why it shows us the last day. It shows us three temptations and shows us how he resisted the devil and got out. Jesus didn't stay in the desert, and neither should you. Jesus didn't accept a lifetime of the devil whispering in his ear, and neither should you. If you're in the desert... Some things to be learned is listen for God because the desert is a place of solitude. This is why, you know, one of the reasons Jesus went to the desert. One of the reasons a lot of people in the Bible went to the desert for a short time is because it was a place where the world got quiet and they could hear God. Let the world get quiet. If, you're, if you feel like you're in a desert, maybe shut your mouth for a minute because everything else, everything else may be quiet here. And listen to hear what God's saying. Rely on God. God provided food and water to the Israelites in the desert. Yeah, Jesus was fasting for 40 days. Most people went to the desert, they ate food and water, and God provided for the Israelites every day. Even though that wasn't where they were called to be, while they were there, he took care of them. Rely on God, and don't stay. Always be looking for the other side. Always be looking for the way out of that desert. And if your desert seems like you're deserted by God, and his provision, if it seems like there's no way out, then you just need to change your perspective because that is not true. You are not deserted by God. There is a way out, and God's provision is still there. God does not leave you and forsake you, so if you feel like that, the desert is a desert in your head, and you need to get it fixed. You need to get your eyes back on Jesus. You need to get your perspective straight, and God will take you out of that desert because he is with you right now wherever you are. Winnie, could you put up that calendar for me? So this is a once-in-a-lifetime once thing. You're gonna like read almost the exact words I say here, but you, know, there, you notice on this calendar, August 2015, there's five Fridays, five Saturdays, and five Sundays. Happens once in 823 years. Really cool, right? The Chinese call it silver pockets full. It's a great time of luck, and everybody pull out your calendar for just a minute and look at, look at August for me. If you're looking at it right now, if you're not, don't worry about it. But if you're looking at it, you might notice that August 2015 started on Saturday. And if you've shared this on Facebook, you might want to delete it. <laughs> because this calendar is completely wrong. It's not true. But how many of you guys have seen something on Facebook and even shared it and been like, oh, I need to take that back? You know, like, that's not true. <laughs> that, that, I didn't mean to go there. How many of you guys have fallen victim to a, to a few little internet hoaxes? I remember back before I actually had Internet, when I had dial-up email, anybody? Dial-up email, maybe even through where I had a little bit of internet, you start getting these emails from Bill Gates. Anybody get an email from Bill Gates? You know, I'm rich, I'm just kind of bored, I want to give you a million dollars. You know, email me back. At one point in the 90s, you know, Bill Gates bought the Catholic Church. That was an email going around. People believed it. Bill Gates did not buy the Catholic Church. <laughs> then there's this one. Whitney, could you put up the, the first, that? yeah, Google T-I-S-P. Okay, this one is not too long ago. I was working at Alorica here in town, it was actually it was PRC at the time, I think, and you know, internet is hard, this is, this is internet, see it says, sign up for our free in-home wireless broadband service. Sick of paying for broadband that you have to, well, pay for? This was on Google's website, this is legitimately on Google's website, and we go there, and when we see this, I just like flip out. I'm like, yeah, you know, we're gonna get free internet from Google. This is gonna be amazing. You know, introducing Google TISP Beta, our new free in-home wireless broadband service. Sign up today and we'll send you your self-installation kit. This was exciting. I was like flipping out and like showing people on my computer at work. I'm like, look at this, man. We're gonna get internet from Google. It's gonna be awesome. Go ahead and uh, flip to the next one. Want Wi-Fi, just flush it down. TISP, going with the flow. This is on about how it works and everything. A fully functional end-to-end system. In-home wireless access connection, connecting your commode-based TISP wireless router. I don't know at what point I started to realize that this was total nonsense. <laughs> you see the guy in in the sewer with the with the Ethernet cable, getting ready to connect it. Go ahead and flip the next picture. You run the wire down your toilet <laughs> for best signal. Yeah, for best signal, all you f- yeah, you know you bathroom Facebookers. Yeah, that's that's the place to be with this. I was getting so excited about free internet. And somebody's like, is there a cord running down the toilet? I'm like, it could still work, please? You know, I wanted it to work. I wanted free internet. More than ever before, you know, a lot of times it's really hard to tell what's true and what's not, right? There's a, there's a I mean, we've all been victim of it. That's why there's Snopes. That's why Snopes is such a big website is because you're about to share something political and you're like, Wait. Is that really true? Nope, it's not. Never mind. Never mind. But it's hard to tell what's true a lot of times on the internet, right? There's there's it's hard to distinguish facts from the interpretation of facts. It's hard to distinguish the truth from a lie. And so we're talking about the voice of God and hearing God's calling. But most of the time there's more than one voice running through our head, right? First of all, there's our own voice. It's one of the loudest voices in your head. Then there's the voice of the devil and there's the voice of God because yes, God is speaking to you. I I, I sincerely believe that God is always speaking to us. So we're just not always listening. We're not always hearing it, but God is always speaking to us. But there's more than one voice in our head. How do we know what is the voice of God? What is your own voice? What might be the voice of the devil? You know, 1 Corinthians first of all says that we have the mind of Christ that we can know God's thoughts, we can know God's heart, because we have the mind of Christ. You know, Jesus said that the sheep know their shepherd's voice, and so that's us, guys. You, you know God's voice, you hear God's voice, you have the mind of Christ, and you can know when it's your father talking. So we're going to look at some of what the devil said to Jesus here in Matthew 4. We're going to go to verse 2 and start reading right there. Because Jesus was in the desert, remember, he was in the desert to be tempted. And so he was hearing a lot of the devil's voice out here. And it says in verse 2 And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the t- pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written, again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And we'll stop right there. So he had just heard the voice of the Spirit, he experienced the angels here, and he experienced in the same, you know, tiny space of time, a constant attack of the devil whispering in his ear. If you be this, if you do this, these are the lies of the devil that, that he said, if you're, if you're really the son of God, he had just heard the Holy Spirit. He had just heard God from heaven shout down, this is my beloved son. I am well pleased with him. And now the devil's saying, if you're the son of God, if it's true, do this. You know, if, if you do this, then you can have the world. You know, he's like, he's not saying, you, you know, let's, let's, let's change plans a little bit. If, if you do what I say, I'll give you everything. If you be this, if you do this. But what did God say? God said, God didn't say, if you are this. God said, you are my beloved son. God didn't say, if you do this, then I'll be pleased with you. God said, I am well pleased with you. These are the words of the Spirit. The devil's going to tempt you to try to turn the law into something that will give you life. That's the first temptation that he gets right here, right? Is that he, he says, turn these stones into bread. We all know what was written on stone. What was written engraved on stone was against us. Is talking about the law. It's talking about the 10 commandments. How did they kill people who broke that law? They stoned them. Turn these stones into bread, if you're the son of God. The devil is going to tempt you to try to turn the law and works into something that will give you life. To try to find your life, not in Jesus, but in, in your own performance. In, oh, I did good things today. I feel good. I have life today. You know, oh, I was tempted to do this terrible thing, but I didn't. So I'm a godly person today. That's my life. That's where the Pharisees got their life, was from following the law. They, they followed it strictly. And they liked to point out, hey, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I didn't do this. But the law can't give you life. The law only brings death. There's nowhere in the Bible the the law cannot give you life because you cannot follow it. The law brought death. But the devil's going to try to tempt you to turn the law into something that will give you life. Whereas God will minister to you and give you life. Notice at the end of this temptation, the angels come and minister to Jesus. Not something he did, but something God did. The devil will tempt you to define yourself by what you do, but God will define you by his words. When God said, you are my beloved son, God defined Jesus. And when you hear, when you constantly meditate on the fact that you are a child of God, God is going to define you. You're going to find your life, you're going to find your identity in who he says you are, not in what i've been doing lately if you find your identity you know sometimes when we're doing really good we tend to find our identity in that that okay right now it's a good time maybe later when i'm tempted i'll go back to, to you know identity of what god did for me but but when it's when we're doing good it's easy to think okay i'm really doing good today the problem is it's really hard to make that switch once it goes from i'm really doing good to oh i stumbled today i'm i'm messing up i'm not where where i should be in my walk you know And it's hard to get back on the track of, wait, I don't define myself by what I do. Because you're defining yourself by what you do as long as you're doing good. The natural tendency is gonna define yourself by what you do when you're doing bad. But we need to continuously define ourselves by what God says we are. The devil's gonna tempt you to rely on yourself in the natural for what God has already given you in the spirit. God had already set and planned the, the way that Jesus was going to redeem the world. But the devil comes to God, to Jesus here and says, you know, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these things. Just do this. Just, you know, bend your knees. Say a few words. Don't worry. God will forgive you. You know, just bend your knees, say a few words, and I'll give you everything. You don't have to die on the cross. But God had already given Jesus everything. And you will not get God's promises by your performance or by your actions. You can't work to bring about God's promises, God will fulfill his promises. You you're probably familiar with the story of Abraham and Sarah, right? God says you're gonna have a child. Yeah, yeah, they had to have a part in it. And yeah, you're gonna have a part in God, God uh, fulfilling his promises. But they decide they're gonna try to do it by themselves. They're like, Sarah's pretty old, Abraham, you know, he's old, but maybe he's still got it in him. You know, so how about how about my maidservant? And you know what they left us as a souvenir? Al Qaeda, ISIS, you know, I mean, like that's that is the result, right? That's what we have from Abraham and Sarah trying to, by their own works, make what God had promised come about. God will fulfill his promises. You know, the devil, it, the devil actually means slanderer or slanderous accuser. Satan means adversary. Satan is the, the slanderous accuser, the slanderous adversary. Of us, of, of God. And he, he comes to us accusing us. And sometimes he'll use facts. When he spoke to Jesus, he wasn't exactly lying. He was saying facts. The Bible says this, Jesus. Yeah. But it wasn't truth. He was twisting it. And the devil's going to come against you sometimes with Facts. He's going to accuse you, not, always, not with things you haven't done most of the time. Most of the time, it will be like, you, I know you did this. I know you had that thought. I know you did that, you know, a couple years ago, and nobody knows about that. And he's going to come at you with those facts, but those facts are not the truth of God. Jesus is not the accuser of the brethren. Jesus is the intercessor for the brethren, that when we make a mistake, he's the one up there with Jesus saying, hey, I'm mean with God, <laughs> with God the Father, he's the one with God the Father saying, hey, I already took care of it, I died on the cross for it. He's the one defending us. The devil's the one accusing us, so when you're hearing voices that are accusing you for things in your past, when you're hearing voices accusing you for things in your present, that's not the voice of God. The voice of God is saying, you are a son, you are pleasing, you are good, you, that's not you. You know, he may, say, he may say, don't do that. But the fact is, what he's really saying is, that's not who you are. Come walk with me. So when you hear the voice of the accuser, that's not the voice of God. God doesn't say, throw yourself down. He says, my angels will bear you up. If our God is for us, who can be against us? The Bible is like our Snopes for what is, you know, from the devil and what is from God. You know, it is where we look to to see, you know, did God is God speaking to me about this or or is this just my own, you know, my own flesh speaking to me? Is this the enemy speaking to me? Like, what, where is this coming from? We can look to the Bible. That's what Jesus did here. He, he quotes the Bible to send away the enemy. But you gotta notice too that the devil quoted the Bible to get him there, right? So you have to understand a little bit about how to interpret and how to read the Bible to know how to let the Bible interpret and read your thoughts. You've gotta know that there are two covenants. There is an old covenant, there is a new covenant. There is a law that was never meant for you if you're a Gentile, and there is the grace of God that is meant for the entire world. You need to you base your, your interpretation of the Bible on what Paul taught, because Paul was the apostle to us, to the Gentiles. He is the one that God gave revelation of his word, of the Old Testament that was there, it was, it's useful. It says that the, the scripture is useful for instructing, teaching, rebuking. It's good. And Paul uses it in his teaching. But God showed him how to interpret it and use it for the Gentiles. He showed him how it prophesied of grace coming. So as you read the Bible, as you're trying to find out you know, what God is saying to you, you need to run it through that filter. And you need to remember the filter of grace in everything we do. So some extra thoughts before we end here. You need to know that you do not need to go into the desert to hear God. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus went to the desert one time, you know, the really that we know of. I mean, maybe, okay, maybe he went a couple other times. Israel's got a lot of desert. That area's got a lot of desert. But it wasn't like that was whenever he needed to hear God, he's like, oh, I gotta go out to the desert again, fast and pray for 40 days. That didn't happen. Yeah. He went one time. The Jews went into the desert You know, the Israelites went into the desert and they were supposed to go to the promised land. They didn't have faith, so they stayed in the desert for 40 years. But even after they got out of the desert, God never called them back, let's go back into the desert, guys. Yeah, let's go live in the desert for another 40 years. So you don't need to feel like, maybe it's time for me to have another desert moment. You know, maybe I need to just get into that place where I barely have enough and God can barely take care of me and I feel like I'm dying and I feel alone and I feel, that's not where you're called to be. God can speak to you right now. Jesus, you know, he heard from God on the mountaintop. He heard from God in the desert. He heard from God in the river. Wherever you are, you can hear from God. You don't have to go to the desert. The other thing you need to know is that men will leave you. The voices of your supporters will fade The voices of your friends will fade. The voices of your adversaries will fade. The voices of your mentors will fade. But God's voice will never fade. It doesn't matter if you're 12 or if you're 75. God is speaking. God wants to speak to you. God wants you to hear him. We are his children, and he loves to talk to us. But God... Likes for people to seek him. He could, he could, and occasionally he does. Just you know, shout out and get somebody's attention. That's what happened with Saul. Saul, you know, was going to persecute the Christians when all of a sudden a light, you know, and a sound knock him off his horse. He goes blind. He hears God's voice. It's this amazing, miraculous moment. But most of the time, like Elijah, you know, we hear God in the still, small voice. He wasn't in the storm, he wasn't in the fire, he wasn't in the wind, he was in the stillness. You know, he says, knock and the door will be open. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you will find. God wants you to listen, and that's how he likes to speak to you best, is when you're wanting to hear him, when he's not forcing himself on you, but when you're wanting to interact with him. So take the time in your life to put everything aside for a minute, and just listen to the voice of God. To seek the voice of God. If you never heard God's voice, just say, Jesus, I want to hear your voice. Speak to me. And just shut up for a little while and listen. Right now, I want you guys to know that if you are not a son and daughter, if you are if you're not a child of God, if you haven't received God's forgiveness, God has forgiven you. God dealt with all of our past, all of our present, all of our future on the cross. Your sins are taken care of. The gospel is that Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose again. And that because of that, we can be saved, not by anything we do, not by our performance, not by, you know, trying trying to turn the law into something of life, not by, not by trying to live up to other people's expectations, not by going to church every Sunday, doesn't save you. You can be saved by belief and by faith in Jesus Christ. So right now, with every eye closed, I just want to give you an opportunity that if you've never received Jesus, just raise your hand right now. We want to pray with you. And God is going to come into your life today, and you're going to be able to hear the voice of of your Father. All right. If everybody would just stand up with me. Just go ahead and stand up. Stretch out for a second. And then just, I want you to just spread apart a little bit. Get a a, a couple feet between you and the next person. And while Tamra plays, (laughs) while Tamra plays some music, just take a minute and just listen to God and see what God is telling you. And if you've got voices in your head that are saying, hey, you're not good enough, you don't deserve it, you know that, remember what you did before you came to church? You know, remember what you did last night? If you've got those voices, you can distinguish right now, that is not the voice of the Father. Shut them down, take those thoughts captive, cast them out, and listen for the Father's voice, this voice of affirmation and love that is gonna validate and identify you.